Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.me. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout the week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download your apps. Now let's get to this week's message in our You Asked For It series, a series designed from questions we've received from you. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace Life. Good to see you guys. Hope you're having fun worshiping. But before we get started with the message, got something for you to see. Soon to look like that. Woo, come on. So demolition has pretty much finished. It was, it was easy with a machine like that. Uh, that. I asked them. They wouldn't let me drive. I don't know why. I think they were very specific about which walls had to come down. and They were afraid of me, but uh, oh well. Anyway, they're doing great things. Construction has begun. We are on a seven-month timeline. That is not far from now. Come on. We got to be excited about that one. Yeah. Good stuff. So where are we in this whole process and and why are we still giving to the building fund is the question you're asking me right now, right? Good. Well, take a look at these slides right here. First of all, we have two mortgage payments for the next six months at least. And then second of all, we met with all the people who are installing all of the sound and the video and the lights this week. And they said the amount of money you budgeted would be great for half of the building. If you want lights in all the rooms, we need more money. So there you go. And then the other thing, you've maybe already heard this part of it, but because we, we own the adjacent property that we are going to be clearing and turning into our extended parking lot, uh, the DOT in Richland County wanted us to do those two projects separately. So what that means is that we're paying cash for the second one because that's just always a good idea, right? And so that's going to be about 300000 So over the next six months, I believe that brings us to just about 480000 that we need, averaging about 80000 a month. That's a scary amount for any of us individually, but it's not a scary amount for us together. Uh, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but in 2017 alone as a church, you have given almost just right under $1 million to the building fund. Yeah, cheer for the person beside you for that one. Yeah. So that means we can do this, but it is going to take all of us. It is not going to work with half of us or part of us. It is going to take all of us. This is our house. You know, I mean, if you ever watch the team when they're playing at home saying, you're not going to win in our house. All right. This is what God is giving us to use in this city to make him famous. Nobody else is going to pay for this if we don't. So uh, just ask you to pray about what God would have you to do for the first half of 2018. Wow, that's here. 2018. Scary thought. All right, everybody. We're in a series where we are answering your questions, questions you've asked that did not fit into other series or other themes. And so each week has been just a totally different topic from the week before. Today we've got a challenge, just to be honest, maybe the toughest one we've done so far. It's one of those why God questions. And we've all got them. You're probably wondering which one is he about to answer, this why God or that why God. If we go around the room right now, everybody in this room has got at least one. Why God? Why that? Why that way? Why did you allow that? Why did this happen? Whatever. And some of us have more than one of them. And one of my personal passions 
is for people to have a good biblical God view. I want them to know who God is, as God really is. And, and it's difficult sometimes when we ask questions and don't get good answers. That messes with our God view. And I think back specifically for a time in my life that was very influential probably in what I'm doing today. I was in college. I was a music major. And, and there was a very good friend of mine. He was another music major. And we had actually done some other activities together, uh, musical stuff. So we, we knew each other for a while. His name was Rob. But Rob was a declared atheist. And very weird for a declared atheist. He had read the Bible from beginning to end, better than some Christians, four times. Yeah, yeah, we got believers who haven't done that, right? Four times. And here's the problem. Sometimes when you read through Scripture, you get questions, right? Anybody ever read the Bible? Sometimes you get more questions than answers, and that's exactly what had happened with him. He ended up with questions, and when he tried to ask them, he got no good answers. And it left him in a place where he decided to stay on his journey of not believing in God. And that bothers me. Now, the problem is I was like 20, 19, 20 years old at the time when I'm having this encounter with Rob, and I'm, I'm in music school, not in theology school. So, unfortunately, my answers didn't help either. I just tried one of those, ah, you know, well, hey, what, maybe, maybe this kind of thing. So what we want to do is we want to answer some tough questions. Today's one of them. We, we're not going to hide from the tough questions. Because what I hope to do is to be able to give you some reasonable, legitimate, biblical answers that will strengthen your faith. And if you're in a position where Rob was, that it may give you faith, that it may turn you and say, you know what, I can, I can accept that. I can get along with what that is. So you're saying, okay, so Jimmy, what is, what is this question today? Well, here you go. Why does God create people that he knows will go to hell? Ooh, yeah, come on, right? Why does God create people that he knows will go to hell? Since the question that we're answering and asking today, in a sense, challenges the goodness of God, before I jump into the question, I just want to show you two quick verses because I want us to know something about God first. I want us to have a foundation of the God we're talking about. Here's the first one. It says, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked would turn from their way and live. That's what God would like. The second passage says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowless, but, but is patient toward you. Why? Why would God be patient? Because he is not wishing that any should perish. Not that any should perish. This is who our God is. Before we go any further, we need to make sure we understand this is who our God is. Our God wants all of his people to come to know him, not wishing that any would perish. And if someone does, he takes no pleasure, but it actually brings him sorrow. We have got to have that foundation as we answer this question today. That is the God that we're talking about. Now, as you answer this question on, you know, why does God create people knowing that some of them go to hell? Uh, you know, there are different schools of theology. And for those of you that side with the, the predestination side or the free will side, you know, you may say, Jimmy, that's just a predestination question. And if you just go believe in free will, it's easy. We can all go to lunch early, right? If those of you that, that aren't tracking with me, there are two main schools of thought in the theological world. And it's kind of like there are two schools of football thought here in South Carolina. Everybody sees the world through either orange or garnet. Come on, which is it? Orange people? Uh, well, that was weak. Garnet people? There you go. 
Yeah, it's tough being a Duke fan living here. I mean, it's like nobody cares. What shade of blue are you talking about? Nobody cares about blue around here, man. Okay, so here's the way this theological debate works out. One half of the world believes this idea of predestination. God chooses who he is going to save. The other half of the world believes in free will. God lets man decide if he wants to be saved. And you think, well, we can just go either way and it'll make the question easier. Actually, no, it will not. Either way, we have the same dilemma. On one hand, God creates us knowing he's not going to choose us. On the other hand, God creates us knowing we're not going to choose him. Oops. Not an easy out. So it doesn't matter today which Bible college you went to or which theology book you read. You still have the same question. Why does God create people knowing they are going to hell? Good question. The answer is because they serve a good purpose in his plan. They serve a good purpose in his plan. Right now, I hope someone is saying, excuse me, what exactly could that be? Anybody? All right, well, here you go. Our main passage for today is in Romans 9. If you want to turn with me, we'll take a look at that. If not, it's on the screen as always. And we're going to pop around a little bit out of order, but we're going to get the whole uh, section here. We're going to start in verse 20. That says this, will what is molded say to its molder, why, why have you made me like this? We do that all the time, don't we? I mean, I can't tell you how long I've asked God, why did I not at least get the five, six? Come on, the mold, get the stretched out just a little bit, buddy. Why did you make me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Are you kidding me? You mean, God, you can actually do what you want and have two different purposes for the same thing that you create? So what could possibly be the good purpose that God would use these people for? I'm just going to walk you through some of these. Uh, five different ones actually is what I have. I don't know that five are the only. I'm just going to give you five today for the sake of time. You may come up with others. The first one is that they have a purpose that brings glory to God. They bring glory to God. Now let's back up to verse 17. It says, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. In all the earth. If you don't know the story, God's people, all of Israel, was taken captive. They were slaves for over 400 years in the land of Egypt. And so God raised up Moses to be the leader, to deliver his people. And Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, there you go. Pharaoh said, no. You see, here's the deal. In order for God to show his power in order for him to rescue his people, there had to be a force to oppose his people. And in that sense, Pharaoh served God's purpose. You see, in order for God at another point in history to teach his children that following his ways was better than following the ways of pagan nations, he sent his people to live under a pagan king, one of the worst ever. And in that sense, Nebuchadnezzar served God's purpose. And in order for any one of us to be saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus, someone had to crucify him. And in that sense, Judas and many others served God's purpose. The result ultimately is they all served a good purpose in God's plan. A big plan that sometimes we can't see all the pieces of. 
Here's a second one. Second reason that God may create these people. They do a lot of civic good for humanity. Think about medical breakthroughs alone. Think about the lives that we've had saved. Our operations, things that people have done for us, the, the, the medications that we have, that our life and the ability to carry out the mission of God is extended because of medical breakthroughs. But many medical breakthroughs are not attributed to Christians, but to smart humans. And God has used them to make all of humanity, especially the lives of his children, better. How about inventions and technology? Check this one out. This is a pretty cool one. How many of you like these things right here? I don't know if you know this or not, but we actually use these in countries that I cannot name, but predominantly Muslim countries. We send people who are willing to maybe not come home with one of these and a screen on their back to show the Jesus film in those nations. And we have seen tens of thousands of people come to know Jesus through a house church movement. Actually, last year alone, 2.3 million Muslims come to know Jesus because of this technology right here. And Steve Jobs, to the best of our knowledge, unless he had a very last-second change of heart, spent his whole life making sure that God was not honored. And yet he's advancing the kingdom. How about arts? How about music? How about theater? Our favorite plays, our favorite movies, our best music. Much of it comes from people who are not believers. How about the most influential people in your life? I want you just to think for a minute. Some of the most, just, just five, let five names come to your mind of the most influential people in your lives. Maybe a football coach. Maybe a teacher. Maybe a little league coach. Maybe a Boy Scout master, Girl Scout. Who knows? How many of those were believers? I'm going to tell you in the first 20 years of my life, the most influential person up until I went off to college was my Scout master. My dad worked about three jobs, so there was a little bit of a void in that mentoring there. And my scoutmaster filled that role. To the best of my knowledge, I don't know that I would expect to see him in heaven, at least not in that point in time. But he had a huge part in determining the kind of person I would be, the way that I would approach life. Everything except what I know about the Bible, I pretty much got from him. Much of what I'm able to give to you and how I operate grace life is principles that I learned from him. You know, the funny thing is we seem to think that all good ideas come from Christians. Have you listened to Christian Top 40 radio lately? <laughs> My favorite Christmas album is sung by a Jewish unsaved woman. Barbara Streisand, in case you're wondering. It's a great album. You should check it out. You see, the point here is that all of these provide good for humanity while upon the earth. And all of them make life better for others, especially believers, God's children. As a result, they serve a good purpose in God's plan. How about we move on to some things that may be a little less funny and, and even more important to us, and that is their lives serve as a warning for others. You see, quite often we can look at the choices made and the way a life is lived by someone who does not honor God, someone who does not choose to do it God's ways. And very often we can look at that and say, that looks like a direction I don't want to go. That looks painful. That looks expensive, and I'm not talking about money. You know what I'm saying? And as a result, their lives serve as a warning that causes many people to turn and have faith in Jesus because they say there's got to be a better way. They actually end up playing a part in our salvation. As a result, they serve a good purpose in God's plan. Fourth one, if no one is condemned. 
if no one is condemned, there's no reason to obey or honor God. You see, it's a very simple logic. If there is a hell, but no one goes there, then there is no condemnation, there is no fear of punishment. If there's no fear of punishment, why would any of us choose to do what God wants? Because most of the time, it's not what we want, right? Let me give you an illustration. I like to drive really fast. I'm good at driving really fast. Maybe I could have had another career in NASCAR, except I get bored with circles, and I like to do other things really fast. I've driven way beyond speed limits, way too much. I don't, I don't know if there's a statute of limitations. We've got police officers. I'm not going to tell you speeds that I've driven or the streets that I did them on. But it reached a point in my life where I'd gotten so many speeding tickets that if I got another one, I was going to lose my license. So I slowed down for a little while. Was it because I wanted to drive slower? No, I wanted to keep my license. And then I let that period of time pass by. And as soon as I was out of potential punishment, I went back to driving really fast. And so actually I was on a church trip with three other staff members. And the rental company gave me a Camaro <laughs> with no upgrade fee. It's from the devil, I tell you. And I got a ticket, but it was in Louisiana. No offense to anybody from Louisiana here, but I had a friend of mine from Texas who said, oh, don't worry about that. Louisiana's so backwoods, they'll never tell anybody about your ticket. Funny thing, I never got anything in the mail from the state of Louisiana. I never knew what to pay. I never knew anything to do. And I thought, he's right, until one day I found out he was very, very wrong. <laughs> Louisiana never sent me a letter. South Carolina did. They said, you have seven days or your license is going to be suspended due to failure to appear in court in the state of Louisiana. I had to figure out how to overnight my ticket fee, my double ticket fee, my lawyer fee, and my court fee, and my please let me out of jail fee. You ever play Monopoly? Actually, they were all in there. I'm not joking. And I had to get all of that there, get it court processed and overnighted back in time so that the pastor didn't have to Uber his way to church to preach a sermon. See, the reality is we will not change our nature and choose to go to God's nature if there's not some potential punishment. Because we're just going to do what we want to do the way we want to do it. It's who we like being. It's never going to change unless there's something out there. You see, we have no motivation to change unless there is punishment. And there is no punishment unless someone gets punished. In that sense, God is doing you and me a favor. The result is they serve a good purpose in God's plan. And number five, I think the most important, it is theologically the most important out of all the examples I could give this morning, is that they allow God the opportunity to give grace. They allow God the opportunity to give grace. You see, grace is a central theme all throughout Scripture. It turns out that grace must be one of the most important things in God's eyes because it shows up everywhere. And it even explains that's how we're saved. Ephesians says that it is by grace you have been saved. So what is grace? Grace is God's unmerited goodness. Get the word unmerited. Make sure you caught that one. That's important. Grace is God's unmerited. You didn't deserve it. Unmerited goodness and love toward those who deserve otherwise. That's what grace is. And in order for you and me to receive grace, for it to have a meaning for it to even be grace, someone else has to not have it. You see, if no one gets what they deserve, then none of us are spared what we deserve. 
Does that make sense? I know it still is a harsh truth, and from our human perspective, we may not like that reality, but nonetheless, it is a reality. My son's birthday is December 1st, so we just had a party for him. He just turned 11. One of, one of our sons, of course, got, got several. And, and, and so on his birthday party, we treated him like he was important. We treated him like it was his day. And, and so he wanted a Minecraft cake. So my wife, she made this like Minecraft world. It was pretty cool. She did like Rice Krispie things and made little bricks out of Rice Krispies. Blue jello for the little lake in. Those of you who don't know Minecraft, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. That's okay. And she made chocolate cr- cake with green icing for land and grass and the whole thing. And, and, and then we put cake and candles on it. And, and we said, happy birthday to you. I want you to imagine for a moment that all of these people that came to his birthday party, my wife looked at them and said, hey, what do you want your cake to be like? And you, what do you want your cake to be like? And you, what do you want your your cake to be we're going to give all of you a cake yeah it's his birthday but no, no we're giving all of you a cake and when i went and got his present instead of getting just him a present i spent the exact same amount of money on every single person there and so everybody gets a gift exactly the same everybody gets a cake everybody has candles to blow out and then we look at him and say happy birthday what do you think that's going to mean to him i'll tell you what it means nothing and see grace means nothing if someone doesn't experience what they deserve you see it says what if god desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction why why would you do that god that sounds harsh in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy to you and i which he has prepared beforehand for glory without god saving only some there would be no grace for those. And the result is that they serve a good purpose in God's plan. So no matter how God uses them, I've given just five good, reasonable, biblical answers. No matter how God uses the people he creates that do not go to heaven, they serve a good purpose in God's plan. But let's be honest with ourselves. Some of you are not happy with those answers. Some of us are not settled at the moment. We're saying, ah, okay, I get it. Those were logical, but that doesn't really take away my, my dilemma. Well, then let me tell you what the real dilemma is today. If your real question is, why does God create them? And I just gave five legitimate biblical answers as to why he does. And we're still unsettled. Our real question is different. You know how sometimes people ask you a question, and when they do, they actually mean something else? When all the guys in the room, you know my pain here. You walk out of the bedroom and your wife does this. Are you wearing that? That's not the question she's actually asking. The question she's actually asking is, you think that matches? You think that looks good? You think that's worthy of going out with me? You think you're going to embarrass me like that? Might even be a translation to just a sentence, like, turn it around, honey, try again. I mean, you know, sometimes we ask a question, and that's not the question we're asking. The truth is, for many of us today, since we've given five good answers, and we're probably still not settled with those, the question we're truly asking is, why doesn't God do what I would do? Why doesn't God do what I like? Why doesn't God do it the way I would? 
If that's the true question, and I think we just need to own up to it if it is, it's okay. It's another tough question. Let's go with that one for a minute because I like why God questions. Why doesn't God do the way I would? Back up to verse 20. But who are you, O man? And ladies, just to be clear, in the Greek we're talking mankind. You don't get out of this one. Who are you, O men and women, to answer back to God? What will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay? You see, at this point, the decision we have to make is very simple. Are we going to let God be God? Are we going to let God be God or are we going to keep telling him how we are God? Are we going to keep telling him that we want things to be a different way? We don't approve of what it is that he has in mind. It's almost like when a parent talks to a child and says, you can play in the backyard, but don't go down the street. You can play outside, but be in in an hour. You can eat ice cream, but only after you've had your veggies. But the last time I checked, a parent is above a child. So the question is, are we above God or is he above us? Are we going to let God be God? Romans 11 says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? We have. God, I don't like what you're doing. And even when there's a reasonable answer, it's still not good enough because I wouldn't do it that way. I get it. Many of us wouldn't do it that way. And you know what our answer is? You're not fair. Okay, God, maybe you come up with some good things to do with those people that you create that go to hell, but you are not fair. Here's the thing. We must never forget. God is not letting a sinless, righteous person go to hell. No, not by their choice, nor by his. No, actually, we all deserve the punishment of our sins. No one, no one is being punished unfairly. Yet many of us are being saved unfairly. You guys get that one? Many of us are being saved unfairly. When I was 22 and I moved to Romania to be a part of a church planning team, I had to live with a family for a couple of months before I got my own place, and it was the family that led the missions team. And the, the father had three kids, and the youngest kid was, was six. And the father and the son got into kind of a discussion, so to speak, at dinner, where the six-year-old yelled at his dad, first bad idea. You see, the, the six-year-old was upset that his older siblings could go and play outside by themselves. But for an American family that had just moved to Romania, it was a little scary for your children to go and play on the streets of a foreign country. So the six-year-old was not allowed to go out and play by himself. And he had had a bad day because he was trapped inside because the siblings wouldn't take him out. And he was frustrated. And as we sat down to dinner, he yelled at his dad, It's not fair! And I remember being scared to death when his dad looked at him and yelled back, you want fair? Die and go to hell. That's not in any parenting book I've ever read. Wow. See, here's the reality. We don't want fair. You don't want fair. You're right. God's not fair. He's not fair. 
He should have never saved you or me. That's not fair. He should have never sent Jesus to die for sins he didn't commit. That was not fair. He should never have given us grace. That was not fair. So are you sure questioning the goodness is the right response for his unfair mercy and grace toward you? No. So what are you to do with my rather loud rant that scared the baby? Sorry about that. <laughs> Three things. Number one, embrace salvation. Embrace Look, here's the deal. No matter what theological camp you come from, no matter what answers you have about how, when, what, where, who, and all that stuff, we all know Somebody's not going to heaven. Why would you want to be among them? I went to church for many years in my life. I was raised here in the Bible Belt. I went to church three or four times a week. And it wasn't until I was 16 that I finally recognized the goodness of God. And I want to challenge some of you here today to stop questioning God in light of the unfair goodness that he is holding out in front of you and saying, would you please? Would you please, my son unfairly died for you so you can unfairly have eternal life with me. Would you please just reach out and take this thing you do not deserve. It's called my love. It's salvation by grace. For the rest of us who have, be grateful. I mean, there is nothing left but to go, oh my God, thank you. Be grateful. You see, we talk about it this way in theology class. Every single one of us deserve to go to hell. So imagine, this is what we do. It's kind of the illustration. At least this is how I do it. So we all get on a bus. We've all got our tickets to hell. It's like some ugly Partridge family kind of bus. And we're all headed toward hell. And of course, it's a mean, grumpy bus driver. And as it's going down the road, Jesus is standing in the street like this. And as he holds up his hand, the bus driver stops. And Jesus gets on and says, you, you. You, you, come with me. Well, wait a minute, I have a ticket to hell that I paid good for. I earned it, every bit of it. I deserve it. That doesn't matter. Unfairly, I'm pulling you off this bus because I died for you. I love you. When you realize that he stopped the ride you were on and pulled you off, although you didn't deserve it, man, just be grateful. Thank you, God, for today, whatever today holds. And for all of us, for all of us, no matter where you are, both groups, trust him. Trust him. You see, the real question we're asking is, are we going to let God be God, even when we don't understand what he would do? Some people would call this dumb faith. I want to tell you, I don't think it's dumb faith. But let me identify with you for a second. I was a nerd in school. I was one of those people. So I would ask questions. If I couldn't get good answers, it was really frustrating to me. I grew up in the church world where you would ask why and somebody would say, that's just disrespectful. Don't ask that question. What it really meant was they didn't have a good answer or they didn't think God could defend himself. I'm not telling you to have dumb faith. I'm not telling you not to ask questions. I'm just asking you to trust him in the midst of that. 
His ways are better than our ways. Is God and we're not. He knows and we do not. We can't see the whole plan. We can't see the future. We are a tiny piece of a great universe spread out over a great amount of time. Who are we to judge the one who started it all and is in charge of it all? So I want to close by just saying, let's, let's see if we could learn from a guy named Job. If you don't know the story about Job, he was a guy who was having a pretty bad day. He lost his family. He lost everything that he owned. He was poor. He was alone and nothing was left. And in the midst of this really bad day, it lasted for several days. This is what he said. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can, can you probe the limits of the Almighty? God thunders with his voice doing great things which we cannot comprehend. Really? See, back to the dilemma. The reality is we will always have a why God question as long as we're not God. We simply cannot grasp. We will always have why God questions. And usually we can, just as we did today, provide reasonable, acceptable, biblical answers. But what we must remember, what we cannot ever lose sight of, is that we are only the creation with a limited understanding of a much bigger picture standing before the creator with all infinite wisdom. All that God does and everyone God creates serves a good purpose in his plan. So I want to come back to those of you I was just speaking to a minute ago, hoping that you would take the opportunity to make Jesus your king. If you've never done that, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up or make you come down front or do anything like that. What I'd like to do is help you have a conversation that says, if you unfairly died for me, I want that. I want that. Would you all pray with me right where you're seated? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you unfairly paid the price I owed. That you died on the cross so that I might have life. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my simple prayer here today is you will give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.